question ultimately is, you know, where do we go from here? I mean, where do we go from here? OTB Sports Radio. I drunk texted Joe Schmidt, too small Latin hebra. And he obviously just threw it into like Google Translate or something because he's like, ha, oh, thanks, Danny. Yeah, the first half was good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> now broadcasting 24 hours a day, live on the Go Loud app. Alexa, you have a whole new world of possibilities. Google Home, tune in and offtheball.com slash radio. This is OTB Sports Radio. The OTB Podcast Network. OTB Gold. The very best of off the ball. Hello there, you're very welcome along. It's Joe Malloy here bringing you some OTB Gold, some of our very best pieces from the show over the last 17 years. Ruby Walsh never really does a dull interview, so I was very keen a couple of years ago to sit down with him face to face. This interview comes from February 2017. I'd been chasing him for a couple of weeks and eventually we agreed to meet at KFM Studios. Thanks again, KFM, for giving us the studio space. And we met up, made him a cup of coffee and we sat down in the studio, hit record and had what I found to be definitely one of the more enjoyable chats I've ever had in the presenter's chair on this show. He is of the no-nonsense school, the Ronan O'Gara, Roy Keane end of the spectrum. So here he is, Ruby Walsh, February 2017, on the eve of yet another Cheltenham, which would turn out to be a very good one for Walsh. In conversation. OTB Gold. Ruby Walsh, thanks so much for doing this. A quote can I put to you from eight years ago to uh, Donald McRae, where you said, I can't imagine not being a jockey. It doesn't bear thinking about. Eight years on, is it easier to think about? No. <laughs> um, no, but I suppose like everybody in any walk of life, um, there will be an end and I'm well aware of the fact that there's more years behind me than there are in front of me but um, I don't see the end in sight or I hope I don't mm. um, but I suppose the other side of that is I never considered riding a job I still don't consider riding uh, work or a job mm. um, I followed a dream out of school and I'm still living the dream um, and I suppose a part of me never wants to face the reality of, of of having to get a job. When you said that to McRae eight years ago, you would have been just shy of your 30th birthday and you've achieved a lot of amazing things since. Are you kind of sated in any way? Or is it like are you less? Is it less appalling to think you might have to hang up or are you as hungry as ever to win the next race and achieve more things in the sport? Ah, look, I'm as hungry as ever, but of course I'm a, I'm a, I'm a realist. Um, if you told me when I was 25... Did I think I'd still be going strong at 37? Um, I don't know if I would or not. Mm. And at 37, can I see myself still going to 40? Of course I can. Um, but look, I'm sure there will come a day, like there does in everybody's life, where you think, this just isn't for me anymore. Yeah. But I would hope that I get to make that decision whenever it is. I hope it's not forced upon me. How do you think you will know when that decision is right? I don't know. Mm. Could you live with being an ordinary jockey? No. Definitely not. Could I live with... I don't know. Could I see myself doing what... I saw soccer players have done and dropped down a couple of leagues and and still played. No, I, I don't think I could. Mm. No, I definitely couldn't. There's no point saying I don't think I could. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to. So I suppose 
to answer your questions it's when you run out of good horses or you're not in demand anymore mm. um, I suppose that's when you go but that's I suppose is part of my job it always has been to stay in demand to have people still wanting you on their good horses and that was a challenge at, at 22 at 30 and it's still a challenge at 37 How good a jockey are you now in comparison with say 8 years ago if we use that example um, I hope I'm still the same guy I was mm. Um I suppose like everything in life you do probably mentally you're you're better you're older you're probably is less up and down you have more experience um I've worked hard physically to maintain what I had um you know and, and I suppose the difference for a jockey to other sports people is that the horse is the athlete so as a footballer yeah. you lose a yard of pace well it doesn't matter if I use a yard if I lose a yard of pace I ain't moving anywhere anyway <laughs> um, so that is the one advantage maybe a bit like golfers that you have that you can have longevity over sports people who are who more is demanded of physically your uh, profession needless to say requires a huge amount of discipline is the discipline that you bring to say something like your diet for instance do you bring it to all aspects of your life are your clothes neatly folded are your socks there are you always on time are you that type of guy I would be very punctual um, I don't like being late um, for anything mm. I would be very punctual um, I don't think I'm a neat freak um, I am disciplined in my way but I have my own routine and it's not what any dietitian would recommend to you or a nutritionist I only eat twice a day I would rarely eat breakfast I would have lunch and dinner mm. and if I had breakfast I wouldn't have lunch that's just my day that's how I control and maintain my weight mm. um, it's not what a dietitian or a nutritionist would recommend to you but I have found what works for me and that most certainly does because you went to see a dietitian in the Black Rock Clinic when you were at school trying to lose weight yeah. and you talk about it in your book you lay out the diet and it very much includes breakfast um, it did you when know, I was in school and I learned a lot from it it was it was simple things it was like what was to get your head around low fat and burning off yeah. whatever excess protein or carbohydrates you would eat I probably don't need as much to function now um, you know and I would still use skim milk um, you've kindly made me a cup of coffee today and I can taste the full fat in it, it it's just small right? things like that um, I did in the kitchen think I should not put much milk in this <laughs> it doesn't matter but it's up or down but, um, so I will you finish that coffee now I've made you I will finish that coffee you've made me but like it's whatever time of the day it is now but I've had a ham and cheese sandwich today I'll have my dinner tonight that's that's my life that's mm-hmm. how I control my weight yeah probably difficult when you go on holidays and I have to come back and get back into it I presume <laughs> Yeah, um, but I learned that lesson well, many years ago. Um, well, 2002, um, I was injured. 2003, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was at the Rugby World Cup in Australia. Yeah. And I'd gone from the Breeders' Cup in uh, Santa Anita and I went on to Melbourne. Um, and I can remember leaving to come home. It was the Rugby World Cup. The Melbourne Cup was on at the same time of year. It was November. And to come home and struggling to get into my jeans. And I, when I came home, I was never as heavy as I was mm. that time. I was 10 stone 11. And to lose that seven pounds was torture. Right. And it's never happened to me since. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you say, you know, you could, for instance, on a standard day, hop into a bath in the evening for 45 minutes. That might take care of three or four pounds up yeah. the next morning. No breakfast, coffee, off to the races. That takes care of another pound or two. You have the rhythm and the routine of it fairly well down at this stage yeah but it, I suppose as I've gotten older I've, I've, I've found it easier again um, you know I, I keep my weight somewhere between 
Nine thirteen and ten two. It's only a three pound swing. swing but mm. you know, on a good day, nine thirteen and a bad day, it'd be ten two. I never have to lose too much, okay. and I don't. The sweat, sweating is only a quick fix. It, it's it's fluid. It, it's fluid. It's dehydration, mm. and that tends to make your weight seesaw. Like you shift three in the bath, but you put on four when you're finished, mm. and then you're starting to lose four the following day. So the leveler you can keep it. I find it easier it is to maintain. Yeah. Are you superstitious? No, used to be um, when I was younger, very much younger, um, playing rugby, I suppose. When I was a teenager, I was superstitious, but Papillon was number 13 in the Grand National, so that got rid of that superstition. He won. Um, hmm. I, I suppose I would still salute a magpie, but no, I don't put on my left boot first or my right boot. I don't walk out into the bread ring first or last. Um, I think if you're dependent on what colour tie you're wearing and what way you put on your boots to win, mm-hmm. um, you're struggling. Religious? Uh, believer, not practising religious, um, but I do hope there is something at the end of it all. Mm. Do you look to anything for a bit of comfort or a bit of focus as you're walking out to hop on a horse for another race? looking to myself I suppose um, I don't think you can be helped from the outside um, no I, I don't I don't tend to look for, for inspiration or um, or drive from, from anybody else I think mm. I have that within myself you never um, sat down with a sports psychologist I would think no no I never did um, I probably had an advantage in that when I started I, I was a trainer's son I understood that there is more losing in racing than there will ever be winning I was never under the illusion that I could win more than I was going to lose mm. um, I, I was realistic before I ever started that losing was just part of the game and you, you had to deal with that and I definitely think that from playing rugby as a kid you learned how to lose with grace mm-hmm. it didn't matter from the time you were 12 you had to shake everybody's hand and clap them off the pitch no one ever left in a huff you learned to lose and that's probably good in all sports yeah. it doesn't make you a loser but it makes you learn to cope with losing um, so I've never felt the need to go to a, to a sports psychologist um, if I have an issue I'll discuss it with my father with Gillian mm. um, you know if I have any doubts I, I, I'd make a phone call and, and ring a colleague mm. you know, most of them will be older colleagues that'll be retired but um, you know I sort it out my own head and move on mm. um, but as Mick Canan often said to me you past is the past you have to focus on the future yeah because I know you said to even Paul Kimmage for instance that your dad might call you out of the blue and say I thought you were a bit sloppy yeah. in that race do you go through bouts where your confidence is down like a football player where he feels his touch is off would you have those periods as a jockey is it like that yeah but I think life is cyclical the world goes round I think life goes round with it mm-hmm. um, I would notice where you'd hit a hot patch where a lot of horses win and you run onto a streak where a lot of horses finish second and then you run into a period where a lot of horses will fall mm. um, and, they, and I don't know why it is but one seems to follow the other and um, that's just the way it's always been in my career so I, you know but to me when, you know when you fall you pick yourself up mm. next race go again when yeah. one finishes second figure out in your head why in most of the times I know maybe it's just a competitive streak in me I'll always think when I finish second I could have or should have won um, you know nine times out of ten you could, whatever you did you couldn't have won but you'll always find something that you think you could have done differently and you would have won and maybe that just gives you the confidence in the horse to believe in the horse for the next day mm-hmm. because you can't live or ride on hindsight yeah. um, so you just move on park it get to the next race keep going forward and you find it easy enough to park it you have to park it. Okay, there was different times in my career where you 
you might have gotten it wrong in a big race, picked the wrong horse, um, done something wrong in, in, in on a big stage, and it would take you a bit longer to park it because it would hurt you more. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure for a footballer, you know, losing a league game and getting beaten the All Ireland final are two different things as well. Yeah, a quote which you had which stood out to me. I don't like lazy people. I don't like people who shout and roar about what they're entitled to. I hate gossipers. I value honesty and loyalty. I admire clever and successful people who have a work ethic. You don't suffer fools, <laughs> is the point. Do you cut people out of your life who are gossipers, who have the traits you don't like? I suspect you're a tough judge of character and people would know if Ruby Walsh didn't rate them or like them. Uh <sighs> I like to deal in reality. Mm. I like to deal in facts. Um, I don't have time for that. I don't. I don't see the benefit in it. Um, you know, I like. Yeah, I like honest people. I. I expect the people around me to work as hard as I'm prepared to, to work. Mm-hmm. I expect the people around me to be as honest as I am. Um, you know, and then I admire someone that is prepared to to work their socks off to get on and be clever about it. Mm. Um, I I don't feel I'm entitled to anything. I work hard for the career I've had. I'm 37 and I'm trying as hard now as I did when I was 22. Just because I've been champion jockey 11 times, I don't think I'm entitled to the ride in any horse. Mm. Um, I fully believe that there's nobody irreplaceable. And, um, you know, maybe that's a fear of failure. Mm. But I just don't have... I, I can't I can't warn the people who think they're entitled to things. I presume you encounter people like that. How do you deal with it? Like, are you? Do you have a temper on you? Are you? No, no, no. I, I, of course, I have a temper. Um, I'm a sports person. Of course, I have a temper. <laughs> um, but I still understand and, and believe that we live in a democracy and everyone's entitled to their opinion. I just take on board the opinions I want to take on board, and that's my choice. Mm. Living in a democracy too. So I suppose that's that's what I do. Mm. Uh, would I have more faith in people that work harder? Would I be inclined to do more for them? I probably would. Help them out a bit more? Yeah, of course I would. Mm. Um, the lazy people do what I can to just... I'd always be polite to them, or try to be polite to them, but I might just brush over them, yeah. Yeah. Do you not have lazy days? Do you not wake up sometimes and think, oh, don't want to move today? Yeah, I do, but we have three kids. <laughs> so that doesn't happen. <laughs> sure. And even before the kids, you had to fight... I presume you, there's mornings you don't want to do it, you fought through it, or was the love so intense? No, it was always... Um, I mightn't be the chirpiest person in the morning but getting out of bed has never been a problem right. um, as my wife would say there are owls and larks in this house and I was definitely an owl right. but um, I think that was directed at me it's a, um, <laughs> but now that I think about it it definitely was directed at me um, but no I never had a problem getting up right. um, and nor do I have a problem going to bed I'd sleep anywhere but um, I always got up and went about it okay. whatever was going uh, whatever happened just get up and get on with it the uh, jockey's changing room has changed in um, age profile if nothing else a lot of the lads you would sit beside are not there anymore thanks uh, <laughs> talk to me about the younger generation you would talk to rugby players well I would talk to rugby players I'm sure you do too or football players and they would often comment on how the next generation are different <laughs> be it social media or they might be a bit more sensitive they're just different they are but sure I'm sure the generation ahead of me... Thought you were soft. Ahead of that yeah, oh, precisely. Thought, thought I was very different yeah. as well. So I'm curious for your thoughts on the younger guys coming through. Um, I think there's an awful lot of talent. Um, but I suppose 
when I look at it, I think the world is in a rush. And I look at younger jockeys at 16 and 17 who, if they haven't made it in six months, think they're never going to make it. When the realisation is it could take you five or six years to make it. Mm. Um, but I guess that's just society. Um, do I think they're softer? I don't. I watch some of the younger lads who are physically willing to do as much as I did ride with the injuries I rode with or with AP rode with or I watched Richard Dunwoody riding with or Conrad the wire um, there are softer guys among them but you can see the ones that are starting to be successful have that mm. steady streak in them um, and they are they're, 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 I suppose I look at them they're, they're 15 and 16 years younger than me yeah. and you look at the fist they're making of it and you probably admire them a bit as much as you want to beat them and stay in front of them you admire what they're doing are you sort of the boss in there now? Are you the elder statesman or are they a little bit afraid of you? I wouldn't think they're afraid of me. Um, I suppose they would ask your opinion on different things. Um, but I don't think they're afraid of me. Um, I only ask because I suppose, I heard you say to someone, if you've had a bad day, Garrity might be the only one who'd at this stage be able to slag you. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that, there's that little bit of respect I suppose. I suppose, but uh, <laughs> Barry would give you a dig. Uh, or likewise I would to him. Yeah. But I mean... We're 20 years at it together, me yeah. and him. So, I mean, if we couldn't be able to rib each other at this stage, um, whereas the younger lads mightn't have the, the confidence to say it to you. But, um, no, they do. There is good... Uh, uh, training room is a strange place. I mean, you're, you're all individuals and you're competitors, yet you have your most respect for each other. On the course, you're the fiercest of rivals. Mm. When things go wrong, you help each other out. I mean... There's no doubt your a colleague will will bring your car to the hospital for you if you're if you're gone in the ambulance, mm. um, to make sure you get home all right. Someone will get in contact with your your wife or your mum or whoever it is. Mm. Um, you know they are they are great to each other in, in that sense. Um, a lot of them will be friends, and while as a whole we probably get on, there are different cliques within the wearham who are better friends. Lads that live in the same area and sure. would share the same lifts. But I mean, um, there is a huge respect among jockeys for each other and um, I think that's an admirable thing um, You've talked about um, horses and their various personality types and uh, traits and you made the point it was Tame and Dunphy recently where you said uh, they are like humans in certain ways if they're like humans they're like children Yeah, seven, eight years old I'd never heard you talk about that before it was very interesting So because I never had a seven or eight year old before or <laughs> <laughs> five year old for that matter <laughs> so that's what they strike you as innocent naive happy seven eight year old humans yeah. there was somebody actually described a horse to me that way about once before and it, I probably didn't grasp what they meant until I had a five and seven year old in the house and and that's what you have and that's what I think that's what horses are Um I'd love to freeze my kids at the age, the age they're at now mm. uh, and just keep them at that age the way they are the, the innocence the beauty of them but you know they're going to get older and they're going to run into all the, the issues life will throw at them yeah. um, but that's I, I think that's what horses are horses are horses are kind um, you know race horses they're, they're bred to run they are a herd animal they're competitive you know like kids mm. um, you know and there's no nastiness in them mm. um, and I guess like when you have a, a kid that, that's grumpy or upset 
they're usually hungry, tired or sick. It's probably something simple like that as opposed to an existential crisis. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the same with horses. Right. And that's probably the simplicity, simplest way and it's the simplicity of it. Do you, this is, I, I know you hate more than anything stupid questions, right? Do you like them? Me? Yeah. Oh, I love horses. You like their personality. You like how they interact with humans. I've always loved horses. Mm. I, I've, horses have been part of my life since I was forever yeah I love horses I respect horses and I have come to understand the ups and the downs that there is with horses mm. um, and I know the right thing and the wrong thing to do by horses and yeah I do love them they've always been part of my life whatever I do in life it will involve horses they are just have always been my life yeah and yeah there are horses you would like humans you like better than others but um and I'm sure there are humans that horses like better than others, but um, I have great respect for them. You mentioned there the uh, they're competitive is one of their traits. Have you sensed on certain horses that they know they're in a race and they know there's a finish line and they know what they're doing? Well, yeah, nearly all horses, all horses. Really? Um, some have more ability than others, and then when they start winning, they definitely become confident and and, and keep winning. Mm. Um, you get a horse on a losing streak, and to get them out of that almost mentally can be difficult um, the fight isn't there they give up a bit quicker than they should because right. um, you said Willie Mullins maybe with Hurricane Fly if he was off a loss would set up training so that Hurricane Fly would do well oh yeah you know get him back get get him because he was a horse with terrific heart he was obviously a very good horse as well hmm. and maybe you paid a little bit more attention to him because of how good he was but yeah, you would always, you know, you would set up a bit of work and, and let him win. Um, and likewise, you get, you get a, a, a horse at home, a heavier, lazier horse, you would put him in against a better horse to push him harder and push him further mm. to make him work harder. Mm. Um, I suppose like a, the personal trainer in the gym, the guy that's doing his best and the guy that's hanging at the back of the queue, yeah. the teacher in school... Uh, that's where you go back to the kids again yeah. like there's, there's the kids that want to answer every question there's the kid in the back of the class who doesn't want to do anything Ruby and the teacher's trying to probe him yeah <laughs> you know or him or her uh, and it's the same way with horses so right. I guess that's what that's why training race horses even is probably an art not a science mm. and the relationship between the jockey and the horse are you dominating the horse are you cajoling is it a team effort team effort but it's it has to be respect as well whatever way you look at it and I was never great at, at science in school but I'm 65 64 65 kilos you're sitting on 450 kilos mm-hmm. physically you can't dominate that it just doesn't add up yeah. if the horse wants that he's going to win every day of the week so it becomes technique and knack and respect and um, you you can think you're going to dominate a horse but you're not mm-hmm. um, you have to win the mental battle before you have any chance in the physical one yeah I presume you can't push every horse to 100% no you can't can it's you push some some yeah um, but you they are usually the best ones they're the Roy Keens yeah and they'll keep giving and then the other ones that you push to 100% too often or too soon they don't fancy it right do you know what I mean mm. they end up somewhere else it's very interesting carrying the water bottle yeah yeah. <laughs> it's amazing the parallels with top level it, sports people it is yeah but I, I guess that boils back to it I mean the jockey is the tactician the horse is actually the athlete mm. you said there I respect horses mm. I remember a couple of years ago you got in hot water because you talked and it's right throughout your autobiography actually you talked about um there was the a horse died and people are very upset and it was a high profile day and you said well look 
there are horses and animals outside the back door and there are humans inside the front door and that's my perspective on things. You didn't say you weren't sad, you just said, let's keep our perspective. And you talk in your book about Rocket Dancer. Yeah. And that was the first time you had to hold a horse when it was... Euthanized. Euthanized, yeah. You used the word destroyed in the book, actually. You know, you wrote about Maliki, destroyed, I guess. I mean, why beat around the bush? That's what's happening. Is that a traumatic experience? Is that an awful experience? Yeah. Horrible. Still is. Won't ever change. It's not nice. It's, it's, but I guess it's the same as my point probably being that day when I said that, that anybody who has a pet, losing your pet is very, very sad. Mm Mm-hmm and you more than likely would bury a pet in the back garden and moving on you'll never forget that pet but you'll replace that pet unfortunately you lose your son, daughter, mother, father they will be buried or cremated whatever Mm. you choose to do and whatever you do they will never be replaced you can't buy another one you can't go and get another one Mm. and it's just the difference between in my mind between human and animal it's not that I don't feel sad or I'm going to forget that animal and I wish more than anybody else that that didn't happen to that particular horse or that animal but there has to be a small bit of perspective kept or you won't keep your own sanity Mm. and maybe that's what it is maybe that's my way of of not dealing with it or accepting it um, but trying to keep it in in, in perspective yeah. um, it is a horrible thing to happen it is it is sad um, but you have to be humane about these things as well and mm. then that's what you try to be and that is respect you have to have to have you have to have for a horse or a dog or mm. a cat mm. a budgie you have to be humane at the back of, at the back of it all because people think well it's just a broken leg like why are we putting the horse down and yeah. the, you've talked you mean the, the process you hang the horse off a roof for months on end you will not quite hang him suspend him suspend him <laughs> suspend him yeah. interesting um, choice of words but you're talking the process is brutal yeah you, you, that's where you have to be humane um, unfortunately I break my leg and the surgeon puts me in cast puts a pain or does whatever he does and tells me to do X, Y and Z for three months mm. that's what you do yeah you do the same for a horse unfortunately he doesn't understand you um, for a start um, you put him in a cast and then all the complications that come with it a horse's gut is so much different to a human's he can't be lying down for the length of period for the period of time that you would like them to lie down and keep right. the weight off it's then you end up trying to suspend them from the roof to keep the weight on the three proper legs rather than the damaged leg then they develop a disease called laminitis can develop a disease called laminitis as well in that leg right. you saw it happening with uh, St Nicholas Abbey like Coolmore did went to unbelievable lengths to try and save St Nicholas Abbey uh, it was over a period of, of a couple of months and eventually they ended up where they were at day one um, it is I don't know I wish that a vet could somewhere somewhere in the world come up with a solution or or, mm. or, or solve this problem or, yeah. or make it fixable um, and that'll be a great day for racing when they can I watched. Uh, I just watched back um, Cotto Star winning the fifth King George, and there is a hug that you give Cotto Star around the neck, which is. I mean, it's love. I know you'll probably say it's not. Go away. It's an animal. But I mean, there was love in that hug. Of course, there was. Yeah, he was. He was a horse in my lifetime. Um, from winning on him as a four-year-old in Newbury to that day in, in Kempton winning his fifth King George, mm. we had been 
down on plenty of glorious roads um, a few not so glorious ones and um, yeah he, he he was he was a brilliant brilliant horse mm. and I, I love riding him uh, we had great days together um, I didn't think we'd have a fifth King George together mm. he'd been as good as written off the year before you know Paul Nichols has trained him brilliantly to get him back to winning head up before the King George I couldn't see him improving from head out to Kempton but he he obviously did a little bit um, and he had that will to win as well he went as fast that day as he did as, as a seven year old yeah. and kept the gallop up and I guess I had huge respect for him he'd come back from some terrible falls and you know he was just a you know, brilliant brilliant horse yeah family is obviously clearly so important to you I loved uh, you told a story about um, you got your amateur licence at 16 and you're missing days at school and the teacher isn't happy and your dad is summoned because you're either going to I think have to repeat or do it elsewhere and Ted goes in Ted seems to sort it out not sure Ted did I think Helen did oh really um, yeah oh. Ted, Ted was the, Ted was Helen's backup um, <laughs> but no that was one person's perspective on life and yeah. somebody else's um, the teacher in question his perspective was for me to do the best I could in my leaving cert um, I guess my outlook was to further the career I was going to chase for for the rest of my life yeah. everyone has a different mm. a different view of how to approach it, it was brilliant to have that support though from the parents to go in and fight your corner and say he's doing his leaving cert and he's going to take these days off to race and he'll do it with your cooperation or without or without <laughs> I mean that's great yeah I suppose there wasn't much um, <laughs> wasn't much leeway in that was no um, but it was, and I guess it was. Uh, I guess I got great pride in the in the support that mm. they were going to back me as well. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, like I, I didn't have a car at the time, so they were dropping me to school and picking me up at lunchtime to bring me to wherever I was going racing on a Thursday, um, and bring me home. Um, so yeah, obviously, mum and dad were a massive support to me in the beginning. Yeah, your dad bought your first pony, and your granddad was also a trainer paid a thousand for it in the mid 80s it's not cheap and uh, Ted and Ruby arrive home with the pony and Grandad says how much was that and Ted yeah. uh, glances at you and says 500 yeah I find myself doing the same thing <laughs> time moves on but the story doesn't change no I can imagine uh, yeah I find myself doing that as well now. when dad asks me the price of something I always seem to be knocking a few quid off it or <laughs> but I suppose it's no different if someone asks you where you are on the road you're always 15 minutes closer to the destination than you are I hear you so I want to put a quote to you from David Russell about your writing skills I know nothing about what you do really I watch it but I don't I can't decipher if you're good bad or indifferent neither can I <laughs> I beg to differ so David Russell for instance was asked about um, your ability and he talked at length but just say one quote for instance uh, Ruby's exceptionally clever moving is the last thing we want to do in a horse you want forward rhythm if you see Ruby moving that's because there's an issue there he's trying to sort out because Ruby has such a grip on his legs he's getting the maximum before they ever start moving on him you must have a horse feeling your presence at all times so you can give signals let him roll on to an obstacle or grab him to shorten him a bit coming up to the obstacle that's through the legs Ruby Walsh is the king of that he's got so much strength in his legs he doesn't have to move moving's an inconvenience a lot of time to a horse that ring true to you? Yeah, it, it is, and it's extremely technical and very difficult to explain, I suppose. But yeah, but that depends on your shape as well. I'm 
was tall for a jockey yeah. not anymore when I look around to wear them um, so but I did have longish legs and I always rode with my legs more so than my body a completely different shape to AP McCoy yeah I was going to say a well, very uh, similar shape to Davy Russell who right, does the same right um, and we're a bit different to, to, to Barry but um, AP had an, an exceptionally long torso and not so his legs were on so long so he rode he used what he had to ride which was his which was his body and yes. his arms I was the other way I had longer legs and my torso was a bit shorter so I used my legs it was more than one way to skin an apple right it's not necessarily one is much better than the other no yeah. it, it's but you have to make the most of what you have mm. and I guess what I had um, and probably what my father realised I had from a younger age was that I had longer legs and I was always taught to use them so mm. I was taught to ride with my legs um also, you obviously have to use your hands as sure, well. But, sure. Um, yeah, it's but people might realise that much is going on with the legs. No, they can't see it. No, they can't. Yeah. I mean, it's pressure down through your down through your glutes into your quads, down your calves. Yeah. Um, applying pressure inward on the horses, um, your ankles and your knees, and the less your leg can move, the more pressure you're applying either side of the horse. Yeah. Um, and it's a signal to go forward, release a bit of pressure to slow down, put more pressure on again, tighten your grip. Right. to go forward you know simple things yeah um and that's just the way I was taught to taught to ride and that's what I tried to do yeah doesn't always work <laughs> but um that's the way I was taught and Davy is very similar he rides with a length of leg and if you're looking at the younger lads David Mullins is, is quite tall and rides with a lot of leg whereas Jack Kennedy's a bit shorter and rides again a bit more like AP with his with his torso and his arms and I suppose to the ordinary person looking in AP would have always looked far more animated than mm. I would and would look to have been doing far more but as we said there's more than more than one way of so if someone says Ruby's doing nothing on that horse no. he, he might he just might be you know because <laughs> uh, you talked as well you know some of the stuff you learned early on you, I know you spent time down in Valley Doyle when you were learning the ropes and, and going from amateur to professional and Noel Mead's yard as well some of the stuff you learned down there you would still use for instance Pace seems to be all important in a race. So you Massive, yeah. you will count, say, seconds in a furlong. So maybe 14 seconds of furlong, 16 seconds of furlong if it's winter. Maybe in a three mile, you might do 15 seconds of furlong. This is the stuff which is was going on in your head, even getting started, and which you're still thinking about a lot now. Yeah, pace. It's, it's all about pace. And it's as simple as me asking you to leave the studio and run to the middle of the town you sprint from here to the gate and it'll take you forever to get to the town you, you jog all the way and you'll be there twice as quick mm. it's tortoise and air yeah. um, and pace is incredibly important even more so than position um, you right. can set out to to have a position but the pace to me is what's important um, and I would have as I was younger I always had a fear of going too fast that's the one way you can't win is to go too fast if you go too slow you might sprint home and get there you'd have got lucky but you can still win but if you go too fast you'll stop mm. so yeah I always had a fear of going too fast and you know walking back the time of a race say Ross Common in the summer you would do two miles and sort at 3.35 which would be exceptionally quick and tight so then you would say it's a two mile bumper divide that by 16 that's what gives me per seconds per furlong okay small things yeah when I was younger I have become much more used to pace and with experience and years of doing it you can gauge it in your own head whether you're going too quick or too slow mm. but when I was younger I would have counted an awful lot yeah mm. especially when I was in front I always just had a fear of going too fast and being caught yeah 
What ride along that theme are you proudest of personally? It mightn't be the greatest achievement, mightn't be the biggest race, but is there a ride where you look back and think that was pretty good? I got a great kick out of Annie Power in Chatham last year. Um, all right, she may well have been the best horse in the race, but she hadn't won a, a championship race at two miles. She was thrown into the champion hurdle. Um, and to me, fractions that day were going to be incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew she'd stay, but often the quickest way to get a perceived stayer and slower horse beaten is to go a fraction too fast. Right. They will even stop. So it was to go fast enough to draw the sting out of some of the quicker horses and to go slow enough that I didn't empty my own horse. Mm. I, I I got I got enjoyment out of that. Kind of deep satisfaction, that's the culmination of yeah, a lot of work. That was just a lot of thought and yeah. I enjoyed that. Have you ever come close to losing your nerve for an hour, for a half hour, for a day? In what sense? Going over fences, getting hurt, it happens no. to guys. No. You laugh. No. It's, it's I think I'm surprised it's never even happened for even a day. No. You might get not so much lose your nerve, but at times get uptight about a big upcoming event. And you would have an hour where you'd be thinking, Why am I doing this? This pressure mm. and you have a cup of coffee and a chat with yourself and you know, sort it out. Sort it out. That's even slightly different to what I'm talking about. That's like the pressure on yourself to win and to do well I'm talking almost about the fear of getting hurt I don't think you injured. lose it for half an hour I think when you lose it you've lost it do guys ever get do, it ain't do, coming back does it not come back you don't think <laughs> I wouldn't think so right um, I, no, there's no way it comes back it's it's not like I don't know putting your hand on a hot stove well I won't do that again it's, it's not I think when that thought crosses your mind and you get pummeled into the ground and you decide this ain't for me mm-hmm. that that won't be for you mm-hmm. I don't think that ever's coming back Does it happen to many jockeys? Of course it does um, Of course it does God, it's, it's it's Perfectly understandable It is but is, is, is it the same probably the younger jockeys more so than you get beyond a certain stage in your life where, it, where it's, it's not going to go um, right. and I'd say the same applies to rugby, football hurling the lad that puts his hand up and gets a belt of a hurdle doesn't put his hand up the second time doesn't go very far same in rugby yeah he steps out of the tackle he's never going to step in again yeah he's stepping out forevermore and it's the end of his rugby career and so it probably happens at a younger age than an older age there have probably been very prodigious talents who had that first bad experience and then something in them deep inside said I don't want to do that again yeah and it's there and it affects their riding and they, they drift just, away they just drift away yeah definitely yeah Afy McCoy then is a relationship you're asked about all the time um, I think people are so fascinated by it or interested by it because there was such a warmth there like it should have been Ayrton Senna Prost you should have hated each other should have been should have been O'Gara Sexton in the bad old days and people even from, even from afar looking on I, I thought it was such a lovely thing that you'd stay at his house in the UK why do you think it didn't go the other way why did it not become Prost and Senna and hatred and rivalry I never read Prost and Senna uh, even if I did watch Tommy Burns be yeah. moan and Senna um, <laughs> I would possibly think because the ultimate competition for jockeys is for rights okay and the jobs that AP and I had didn't necessarily mean we were competing for the right um, 
he was working for Martin Pipe I was working for Paul Nichols and Willie Mullins he then worked for JP McManus the crossover on rides was absolutely minimal mm. I wasn't Robin as we would say in the wear room yeah. I wasn't robbing his mounts he right. wasn't robbing mine yeah. and that is probably why we got on as well okay that we were as competitive as hell on the track but jockeys were able to leave that on the track yeah there was no politics no with your relationship. Him, there was no politics mm. I had one I had two jobs he had two jobs and that's the way we went on bigger days on bigger races where you beat him you might go your separate ways though you might necessarily stay with him was that just a kind of unspoken agreement like one of you'd shoot off yeah. or would you, you no 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 that was uh, respect I'd say yeah um, but that's a funny one there is no gloating in racing Racing is the quickest game in the world to bring you back down to earth. Yeah. And the lad that comes into the world and gloating is almost frowned upon. Okay. And there's almost the unwritten rule right. we'll knock him back a peg or two. Okay. Nobody comes in boasting, gloating. Say well done. If you've had a great day, contain your smile to the eve. It's just, you might celebrate passing the win of post, but when you come back into the wear room, don't, there's no showboating in there. Mm. It is not, it's not tolerated. Right. Don't ask me why. It's a room full of individuals competing against each other. Maybe that's why it's not tolerated. But it's just, it's not done. It's not practice, so there's no gloating. Okay. Interesting. You first went to Cheltenham as a 16-year-old and slept on a couch uh, as a fan and uh, looked down and saw, I think Willie Mullins had a winner. You're a winner of it, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you understood the magnitude of that and your dad, a brilliant amateur jockey, had four winners. Yeah. He had 52. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's just extraordinary. Do you feel incredibly comfortable there? Do you feel like you're at your best there? Do you find it incredibly difficult there and you're you're having all these winners almost and you don't know how it's gone so well? Um, I don't know. I've been very fortunate to ride a lot of good horses there. And I think it is an incredibly competitive place where being on the best horse is a massive asset. Sure. Um, I love it there. I I I, I can't say it never fazed me. It, it not that it fazed me, but when I was younger, the size of the crowd, the enormity, of the occasion, yeah, it would get you up for it mm. um, in a good way. In a good way. Um, but, but I just had unbelievable luck. I look forward to going there. I look forward to, and maybe that is my ego. I look forward to riding in front of 75,000 people mm. it's your one chance in the year mm. is it like the footballer who worries about Crow Park or the guy who can't wait to get there I can't wait to get to Cheltenham mm. win, lose or draw it is the best place to ride and, and maybe it's because I've been so lucky there that I have no fear of it or yeah. you know that could all change in a month's time go to Cheltenham have an absolute blowout and think it's the worst place in the world yeah. but at the moment I just love it there. I, and I've not, I won't, what that won't, whatever happens won't. I mean, I've left there in an ambulance two years ago. Mm. Um, and I am appreciative of that, that I always consider going to Cheltenham and, and riding a winner and coming home on the flight I intended to be on as a good week. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I do, I do enjoy it. I, I do enjoy the pressure of it, the hype, the build up, the, the crowd, the atmosphere, the tension. Yeah. <laughs> You're drifting off there. I like it, yeah. <laughs> the adrenaline, I guess. The adrenaline, short. I guess, yeah. yeah. You paint a lovely picture of Willie Mullins um, as a trainer when you're on the gallops. And he'll there. I don't know, is Sybil the dog still alive? Sybil is gone. Is Lara Sybil gone? has replaced Sybil, yeah. Right. So Willie will stand there with Lara the dog and uh, won't take notes, won't 
you wouldn't know what he's doing really if, if I came down and just watched Willie Mullins at work I wouldn't think he's up to much but you said he sees everything he's, he's just a brilliant judge of what's going on with his eyes hmm. he does he trains off his eye hmm. um, and I suppose that means he's training off his own mind um, and that's a that's a gift that he has um, he just sees things that most people don't right. um, a bit of work a flash of brilliance or a flash of ordinary yeah um, he, he just can see things I suppose in the makeup and the constitution to look at them you know I remember thinking last year before Cheltenham on the Saturday morning when I was standing there with David Casey and I was expecting what was the Tuesday horses had left that morning so we still had Wednesday, Thursday and Friday horses on the on the on the gallop, mm. and I was expecting the Wednesday horses and Thursday horses to work, and the Friday horses to do a, to do a bit of work. Yeah. And he's standing there, and he, he looks at them, and he just said, "I can't them all. None of them are going to work." I remember looking at David, and David's looking at me, and we kind of said, "Well, no." He says, "I'm happy." So we kind of looked at each other, and Grant sauntered across the gallop, and the horses all did a canter. And I says to Casey, "What do you think?" Well, says David, "If he's happy, I'm happy." Yeah. So wow. away we went, went to Cheltenham, he trained seven winners. And that was <laughs> how many seconds? I mean, the routine was to work them, but he stood there, he, he saw something, and just said, "No." Did you see anything? No, it looked the same to me. <laughs> that they had looked two days before. They looked the same to me. He just saw something. He made the call, and away we went. And I, and we remember talking today about it on the Friday at Cheltenham, and I said, "Imagine like last hour, we were thinking we should go again." Like, and he was, he was just. And I just remember thinking, "That's amazing! Idea. Wow, amazing story." Uh, so, very last point. Your standard week, you're maybe racing three days a week in Ireland at the moment? Yeah, three, four. Yeah, uh, four. Three, maybe four to, at the most um, through the winter. Yeah, it could be four or five through the summer, but so it's less much less rides. Less hectic. Well, less hectic, yeah. Preferring it that way? Getting longevity out of the edge Yeah, no, I hear you. And so if you're doing the gallops on a given morning and you're on a horse at this stage in your life, are you... I don't want to go too highbrow in here because you'll, you'll shoot me down. I don't want to say are you in a kind of zen meditation and motion kind of state where there's just something you're just in, in the present moment and it's it's a beautiful thing with an animal are you somewhere in that space or are you more thinking I better not forget to get the milk for Gillian on the way home <laughs> you should get me divorced <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean is it a the gallops have always struck me as almost like a, it can be a spiritual beautiful place at times I suppose every morning I'm on the gallops and I get on a next horse I am looking for the next hurricane fly, the next chaos star. Right. Um, that's what my mind still is. That's yeah. I'm still living in a fantasy world, but I'm afraid unless the milk and the bread are on a post that's stuck on the steering wheel, there's not much chance of me. <laughs> Good luck at Cheltenham. Cheers. And hopefully you don't have to get a job for a while yet. I hope not. Thank you. OTB Gold. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 